This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerus, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. As a kickoff episode of 2024, I only see it fit that we talk about our New Year's resolutions. And if you're a like-minded individual just like me, then your resolution was to spend more time at the track. But how can I still write that off? Throw some logos on it, start an LLC, none of this? Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about this week. Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. And as a quick shout out, I should do this more. I just want to give a special thanks to Napa Tracks and Promotive uh, for both joining back on for another year of sponsorship. So thank you guys. Thank you. You're the reason why we're able to do this. So if you guys are using Napa Tracks, if you're using Promotive, make sure to say thanks. And if you're not, check them out. I'm sure they could help you out. Did you know Napa Tracks has on-site training plus six days a week support? It all starts when a local representative meets you to learn more about your business and how you run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Let us prove to you that Tracks is the single best shop management system in the business. Visit them online at napatracks.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S.com. Are you tired of writing ads that don't generate one good candidate? Introducing Promotive, a full-service staffing solution for your auto repair shop. Go beyond the job boards and let them find your next rock star. They do all the heavy lifting for you. Visit them online at gopromotive.com. Racing more this year isn't actually my real resolution. It is one of them, I'll say, but I have a real one, and I'll share it with you guys in a couple weeks because I have an episode on that as well. But I actually have to do some of it. Until I do that, you guys won't hear about it. So thanks in advance, because if you guys know about it, I'll feel too guilty not to follow through. So there it is. Anyways, back to race cars. For those that know, I am a gearhead at heart, and that really is my passion. But counting pays a lot better, and it is honestly much easier than working on cars. And I do 99% of my own work because I'm anal and OCD, but I also truly enjoy it. If you don't enjoy working on cars, then probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast because you probably wouldn't have started a shop. But if you don't like working on cars, you probably don't have a race car. Now, if you don't like working on cars and you do have a race car, then you probably have a ton of money because it gets expensive quick, even when my time is, in that case, free. Some of you probably also remember the feeling when you first started working on cars, but just like you, after wrenching on my car for 100 hours just to have the clutch explode on the third lap, it gets pretty old, and for too much of last year, that car sat on a lift in some sort of state of disrepair or disassembly. Lucky for me, though, I have a client that runs in the same group that I do up in New Jersey Motorsport Park that was in a similar situation, so pushed me to get it back on track for one last session in 23 um, so while it's not my official resolution, it is on the list to get it out more than a couple times this year. Anyways, back to the topic of writing off your race car. I have seen so much bad information. And like I said, I'm into cars. So Facebook groups, car forums, and stuff like that. There's a ton of people out there that are into cars and not accountants or CPAs giving wonderfully terrible tax advice on the rock solid way to write it off, right? Put your logo on it. If your logo's on it, then they can't throw it out and audit. I've heard so many that I'm not going to chime in there. What am I going to do? Be an internet expert where I give accounting advice on, on the internet? Well, kind of funny look at it now, right? 
But seriously, it's there's ways to do this. There's ways to not do that. And there's also kind of the informal thing in between of, hey, even if you do everything right, doesn't matter what you think, doesn't matter really anything other than what that auditor wants to do. And yeah, sure, if you are unjustly convicted, just like in a audit, you can appeal this, but it costs money and it is not going to come back if you win it. And to try and fight a $30,000 tax bill by spending $150,000 on a tax attorney, you know what? That sounds like a worse investment than the race car itself. I've also seen and talked to a number of you guys that are in a similar situation where, hey, I have a race car. I have ideas on how to write it off or maybe even have ideas that you've been doing in the past that you maybe got advice from a previous accountant, maybe someone on the forums. And I've had to say, hey, I probably wouldn't do it that way. But I figured it's come up enough. I was actually talking to my client the other day about my own race car. And this somehow came up. I was like, you know what? We really need to do an episode on this. Everyone's thinking the same thing. How can I stop some of this bleeding of the cost of race car ownership by leveraging it for my business and getting a tax deduction? A $20,000 motor hurts, but a $20,000 motor that was a tax deduction almost seems like a prudent tax move, right? And to lead this whole thing off, the IRS hates race cars. The IRS hates fun, so planes, boats, horses, art, wine, are amongst a handful of others that are something that you will already be on the defense if you get audited. And that's why I said this before. I'm going to go down through, I'm going to give you the official rules. I'm going to give you best practice of ways to try and avoid this. It is going to be an uphill battle. I've been in this firsthand and we'll talk about it in a little bit. We just don't see very many audits. And luckily, a lot of my cars that have very expensive race cars have not been audits. So I can't tell you a ton of details, but I had one guy that 100% the deductions were legitimate and it still got thrown out. They could not get over the fact that it was a race car, period, end of story. But We'll talk about that in a little bit. So even though that I am fairly sure that most IRS agents, in fact, do hate fun, that's not really what they can argue in court. It is a little bit. But really the two big things that they fall back on are personal enjoyment, we can also call that fun, and hobby income or hobby losses. To start off with personal enjoyment, it is not actually an IRS tax code in itself, right? There's not an IRS tax code that is a general sense where it says, hey, if the person is having fun, we are not going to allow the expense. But it is part of it, as we'll talk about in a second. I mean, but really, the IRS does not like to see you getting personal enjoyment out of a business expense. Look at meals, right? Meals are a great example of this. And it's kind of blurring the lines between necessity and personal enjoyment here. But similar to meals, right? You can only deduct generally 50% of meals because the IRS says, well, hey, you're going to be eating whether or not you were doing it the course of normal business. So we're not going to let you write it off anyways because you were going to do this no matter what. It's really the same idea with race cars or any sort of personal enjoyment, right? Hey, this is something that you enjoy doing. This is a passion of yours. So whether you deduct it or not, you are still going to do this. Now, obviously, you don't like paying taxes just like anyone. So you are going to try to get a deduction out of this. It's a very subjective thing, and perception is reality. If it looks like you are having fun, then you are having fun, and that means that you're probably not allowed, not about to have very much fun when you get that audit final notice there. Now, what the real code is, and every single tax case that has been taken to court regarding really any of the stuff I said above, planes, boats, horses, art, wine, and race cars, has stated a specific code section but it all has to do with hobby versus business. 
The idea here is, are you engaged in a for-profit business? Is this actually a business or are you trying to write off a hobby? This is something that happens a lot in farms as well too. The thing that's going for you in farms is the IRS, for whatever reason, doesn't see that as something that people get personal enjoyment out of, which I know a lot of farmers that love it. Another thing that goes for us for farms is even the best farms out there, a lot of those are losing money. It's a very, very upside down, weird industry. And you couple the fact with we can write off the entire cost of a half a million dollar combine in the first year. Yeah, it's very, very uncommon to see a farm that's actually showing a profit. Imagine if you're running a repair shop, right? Imagine if that repair shop had been running for the last 30 years and every single year it it lost money. Would you still be there doing this? Probably not, right? Because you're like, what the heck am I doing here? I just spent the last three decades losing money. Now, flash forward that and maybe your racing career has been pretty similar. Hey, you've lost money for the last 30 years racing. Unless you're in a professional series or you're a professional race car driver where you wouldn't be listening to this episode because it truly is a business. You probably have a track car, right? You probably have a club racing car, maybe historic, maybe current. I don't know, but it's probably not your sole business, right? And so this is where it comes in. Is this a hobby or is this a business? And if you're super bored, you can actually read the code section. This is all called Code Section 183, which is actually officially titled Activities Not Engaged in For Profit which I actually had to read that twice because I thought there was an extra four in there. It's not activities not engaged in profit. It's in for profit, right? There's a very, very key designation there because it does not mean that you are not engaged in profit, right? It doesn't mean, hey, you did not make any money. It means, are you engaged for profit? Meaning, hey, I might not have made a profit. I might have never made a profit, but I am engaged for profit, meaning in the future, I am going to try and make profit. Now, just like a lot of stuff on this, that leads to not being able to look at historical stuff. That leads to intents. Because what I'm not having to argue here is I don't need to argue that I'm engaged in a in-profit business, meaning I don't need to prove to you that I've already made profit on this. I need to prove that I'm in this for the sole intent of making a profit in the future. Now, the best way to prove intent is to prove results, right? Just like rental properties and a lot of other stuff. Hey, How do you prove that it was a rental property? Rent it, right? How do you prove that it's engaged in for-profit activities? Show a profit, right? Fairly simple. Now, where this comes in and what everyone is really concerned about is, is how you have to classify hobby expenses. Hobby income is the same as business income, right? Whether it is a hobby or it's a business, if you make profit or if you make income, meaning you get money, you have to pay tax on it. Now, the big designation comes in is on the expense side of it. Obviously, we all know if you have a business expense, you can write off those business expenses against business income. Perfect, right? Till we get to the hobby side of it. Because let's say that I have a race car team and my race car team has $100,000 of revenues from races, from sponsorships, whatever it is. But It hasn't been a very good season. I've reinvested in it for the next season and I've spent every bit of that 100,000. So I go out, I file a tax return on this. I report this 100,000 of income, 100,000 of expenses, wash, nothing. I just filed a return because that is an engaged in for-profit business. Now, if the IRS came and looked at this, you might be saying, well, why would they care? If they throw it out, it still didn't make any money. Who cares? 
Now, that's where this gets a little bit tricky is because what they would do is they would come in and they would look at this and they would say, all right, we're not going to argue the 100,000, right? You got that, all right, free and clear. Now, what we're going to do here is we do not think this is a business and we're going to classify this as a hobby, right? This is not for profit and not engaged for profit. So now instead of having a wash on there, the 100000 of income is still there, but all of my expenses are gone and I now have to pay tax on it. That is the big thing on hobby. Hobby income is the same as business income. Hobby expenses do not exist because we are not allowed to deduct it. Right. Great example would be me in my garage working on my race car versus you in your garage working on customers' vehicles. I cannot write off the cost of my tools. I cannot write off the cost of the consumables that I have in there because it's a hobby, right? Truly a hobby. I don't really write off any of that stuff. It's just, that's not what I do, right? What I do is accounting. Now, for you guys, you can write off all of your tools, all of your equipment, all of your supplies, the rent, the overhead, everything else that goes associated with it. Because even though we have the same general idea, we have cars on lifts, you guys are engaged in a business doing that, and I am doing a hobby. Now, one of the most famous things out there is the old three of five-year rule. And there is some truth to the three of five-year rule. Now, what the three of five-year rule is, is it all has to do with making a profit out of when you take a look at back the previous five years. So the three of five-year where it comes from is it's a legitimate rule for that the IRS talks about. And what it is, is the is something called an IRS safe harbor rule, meaning, and we'll talk about in this section, is there's a lot of different ways to prove intent and to prove all of that stuff. But essentially what the IRS comes out and says is, hey, if you've made a profit in three of the last five years, going from you know the most recently filed return, then you have, in practice, proved that it's for profit. Over the last five years, majority of the time, three out of the five years have been profitable. Now, the tricky part about that is how much is a profit, right? If I make $5 in profit for three years and I lose 50000 the other two on it, then, hey, I've lost a ton of money, but technically I've made a profit in those three years. You're not going to get as a lot of clarification on it. And there is stuff in there, but again, is it practiced in real life? Eh. Now, the opposite of it is where I really argue. If you have a business, and even like what I explained before, if you have a racing business or whatever, and you are showing a profit, even a very small profit on three of the last five years, you probably have a good chance at winning this thing in audit. Now, your odds are always going to be against you just because of what it is, but it would put you in rare air, especially for racing teams that's been audited here. Now, where it gets a little bit tricky is people try to use it in the opposite. Because what it really is, is that it's an automatic checkbox. If you pass three or five years, you're good. Do not file to step two. Now, what it not, is not is, hey, if you do not pass the three or five years, you automatically lose. There is a second step on here. Long and short of this is, if you've made profit the last three or five years, more or less you can stop listening to this episode. You're probably technically in good standing. Now, will the IRS agent side with you? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on how good your record keeping is and, and how slick of a tongue you got. Now, if you're sitting here saying, well, huh, my business or my, you know, my shop hasn't even made profit last three of the last five years. Am I going to get thrown out and this is going to be considered a hobby? No, it, it does not go the opposite way, right? It's not saying, hey, I lost money for the last five years in my shop. I'm going to get thrown out. I'm going to get audited. No, there's plenty of businesses that lose money every single year. There's some businesses that have never, ever showed a profit, right? And some of them that you probably even own stock in. 
what do we do if we can't pass that three or five years? Because, like I said before, most of you guys are not running Trans Am. You guys are not running IMSA. So even in the best case on it, you're racing for free tires or, I don't know, gas, maybe just bragging rights. Now, some of you dirt track guys actually do get some money out there. But again, spendy, probably even more of it. Napatrax has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the industry's best, most comprehensive SMS. It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business and how you need to run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice, and having a local representation is a huge plus. Customizing tracks to your business, whether you're a one-person shop or a large multi-bay or multi-location company, Our representative consults with you to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. And unlike the other guys, we'll be there for you after installation with the best training and support in the business with a learning management system tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. Visit us on the web at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S.com. Are you tired of spending endless hours searching for the perfect talent to join your team? Promotive is your full-service automotive staffing solution. At Promotive, we believe in being more than just a recruiting agency. We become an extension of your team, working tirelessly to ensure we place the right talent with the right shops. With our always-be-recruiting mindset, we're constantly seeking out the best professionals in the industry. We manage 90-95% to of the recruiting process, taking the burden off your shoulders. When you partner with Promotive, you gain a dedicated recruiter and account manager who will work closely with you, understanding your unique requirements and seeking out candidates who fit seamlessly into your shop's culture. We'll ensure that every candidate we present is thoroughly vetted and aligned with your needs. With Promotive, you'll have a peace of mind knowing that we're handling the recruitment process with expertise and precision. We don't just match resumes, we match character, culture, and long-term success. Visit our website at gopromotive.com today and experience the power of Promotive's expertise and dedication. Together, we'll build a stronger and more successful team. So what are the real rules, right? Enough alluding to it. Let's get into it. Let's see if we can actually pass it. And I was looking and I was even reading the tax code because I've never really seen these rules laid out like they are in in what I'm going to read to you, but it was a pretty good synopsis. But if you read through the code section, These aren't like their actual things that you need to answer all of these. They're going to say this is not an all-inclusive or all-encompassing list, meaning, hey, here's the general idea here. If you answer a yes to all of them, you're probably good. If you answer a no to them, it doesn't automatically mean that you're not going to win, but you get the idea. But let's kind of go down through this and take a look at it. So number one, does the taxpayer have a business-like manner while carrying on the activity? What does that mean? Hey, does it look like a real business? Do you have websites, business cards? Are you marketing? Do you have employees? Are you selling stuff? Are you having merch? What would a real business look like that was doing this? Is the taxpayer an expert or an advisor? Probably if you own a shop, hey, expert is a very loose term, right? That's a subjective thing. That's why all this is. It's subjective. Do they devote the necessary time and effort? If it's a for-profit business on it that you spend two hours a year, then are you really trying to make a profit that much? Again, how much time, how much effort, how do you measure that? It's tricky. Is there an appreciable asset created? And that's a really tricky one there. Probably doesn't even apply. It's really actually funny when you think about for a race car because anyone that's built a race car before knows that that's probably never going to happen. 
are there successes in similar activities? And so this one is a no-brainer. Like, well, I guess not a no-brainer, but yeah, there's plenty of for-profit. Look at NASCAR, right? Those guys are businesses. They're writing this stuff off. Like, it is possible to make money in, in racing. Now, is it rare? Sure, but it is possible. What is the history of activity, income, or loss, right? And that kind of goes back to the three- of five-year rule we talked about before. Have there been occasional profits? Again, back to the three- of five-year rule. But this is where it's, hey, maybe you're at two of the five years and you might still work. Is there a stable financial status? Hey, does it actually have a bank account that has a balance that has reserves? Or is there no real bank account because it's run out of your personal or something in between? And then the big one, the last one on here, and going to be the hardest one for anyone here, is, is this activity undertaken for personal pleasure or recreation? This is where it gets tricky, because like I said, some of these don't necessarily apply, some of these are very subjective, and that last one on it is always going to be a hard one here. Now, one of the things to talk about is the taxation on this, and I guess not really taxation, but how you classify as we've talked about a number of times on this, I hate C-corporations. We almost never see C-corporations because for a business that is showing a profit, especially a healthy profit, it just generally doesn't make much sense. Now, for racing and a handful of other businesses, it is extremely common to see these set up as C-corps, right? Inc. and taxed as a 1120, not 1120S tax return. And why is that? Hobby loss or these hobby rules that we were talking about, all of this stuff is related to everything other than a C-Corp, sole proprietor, individual, partnership, S-Corp, LLC, LLC taxes a partnership, you name it, all the hobby rules apply. The three or five years, these nine rules and stuff like that. However, for a C-Corporation, it is automatically a corporation, right? It can't be taxed any other way. You're Inc., you need to be a C-Corp. And so the IRS does not apply the hobby rules to that. Does that mean that if you're a C-Corp that it's a no-brainer and you are automatically going to win an audit? No, but again, it's probably not going to hurt your case on it. The tricky part about a C-Corporation and why they like this is C-Corporations can't actually ever deduct a loss. If you lose 100 grand in a C-Corporation, you can't use it to offset your income from your S-Corp, right? It is its own animal. So yeah, while you might not be able to get some of the hobby losses thrown out here, most of you guys probably aren't going with the intent to offset the very small, if any, amount of winnings that you have in this endeavor. All this doesn't sound very good. How do we avoid these issues? I'm going to give you kind of a quick story before we go down through this, because I've mentioned it a couple of times, and so I have to kind of give you the background of this firsthand experience that I have on this. So before we go and we try to figure out how we defend this and, and how we set this up to be as good as we possibly can, I'll tell you about my client. He is in Ohio and he has a shop performance shop on it and he does a lot of stuff with drag racers. Now, at this point, my client does not actually race anymore. He does not have a race car. When he goes to the track, he does have a trailer, but it only has customer cars. This is truly 100% for profit. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah, of course, you probably get some personal enjoyment out of it, but if any of you guys have been at a track, being at a track all day and wrenching on cars in a parking lot and asphalt and gravel and dirt or whatever, that's just not the most enjoyable thing out there. And definitely not as much enjoyment as being out there and actually driving the car. 
But anyways, my client calls me up one day, and this is years ago, and says, hey, I got an IRS audit coming in. And I said, hey, man, that stinks. Not really sure why. And I still do not know why he was selected in audit. As far as by the book goes, I mean, his stuff I wasn't worried about. He doesn't play around with it. He doesn't run junk through there. Uh, He has a very clean set of books, and he's just a nice guy. And so I was like, hey, I don't really have much to worry about. And boy, was I wrong. We went and IRS came out and started asking a bunch of stuff. And we didn't play any funny business, right? We didn't give a precursor of, hey, this is what, this is on the track, right? There was nothing we were trying to hide. We're open book. Here's what it is. Let us know what else you need. Expecting this to be a no change and we're on our way. Long story short, this thing dragged on for months and months and months, right? We went back and fought. We fought with their manager on this. We made like absolutely no money on this as a firm because obviously I am in a for-profit business, right? Any of you guys that are clients are like, well, hey, if you really didn't want to make money, you could stop charging me. But this one really kind of got a thorn in my side, right? This one really kind of hit my ego. Just like some of you guys that have just those problem cars where you're like, I just need to figure this out. This really took the cake because not only I like this guy a lot, but we were just dealing with the worst human beings possible in this IRS agent and her manager. Now, the whole thing on this is she threw out some other stuff where I was going to let, let her have this, right? Whatever. What If she throws some of that stuff out, we give him two grand on it. Just move on. Pay it and be done with it. But then she started looking at the travel. And he had a good bit of travel. And all of his travel was trackside support, right? And a lot of this was even paid for, right? We had documented invoices from customer where he was reimbursed for these expenses, for gas. He had mileage logs on all this stuff. He had pictures of this. I mean, this was all by the book. And all that she needed to hear was race car. And she was done, right? Okay, well, you're at track. You're racing with your friends on it. We're not deducting this. We said, whoa, 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 whoa. He's not racing. This is his business. He's a mechanic, right? This is where he's certified. This is where he trained. He now owns a business where he does the same stuff. He works on cars. He works on customer vehicles in the shop. But a lot of these guys are racing to track. They cannot fix their own cars. They need him to be there in order to support them. Now, for that, he doesn't do this for free. This is his business. They pay him to do that. She didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to hear any of that stuff. Didn't want to look at our documentation. Didn't want to look at our backup. Nope. It's a race car. Race cars are not allowed to be deducted. And that was it. We went back and forth. We gave them everything on this. They even threw out some more ridiculous ones that she ended up relenting on this. But when a push came to shove on this, I just finally said, hey, I'm done dealing with you. You are not a normal human being. We are never going to get anywhere. Not to be that person, but I was like, who is your manager? Like, we need to speak with someone else. Like, give us another auditor because what you're doing is just not legal, right? You're just using your own personal vendetta here on someone that you've never met and trying to charge him money because of it. And what she told me was, and this was eight years ago, maybe maybe a little bit less than this, but it was a while ago. It was my first wake-up call of like, hey, you know what? You could have nothing to worry about and still lose, right? You are fighting against the government and you're playing on their court, right? And so they can make your life very hard if you want to. So I always say, be nice to the agents, right? They don't have a ton of power, but they have a good bit of power there. Now, they're not your friends. Don't give them more information than you need. But if you create an enemy, oh, they will always win there. Anyways, when I said, hey, I need to talk to a manager, I need to talk to whoever runs your office on it, she told me point blank, my manager is my best friend on it. Whatever she says, even if it's wrong, she's just going to back me on it. 
So long story short, my client lost that one. Cost him around about $20,000 in tax. And I told him, I said, I am not going to lie to you. This sucks. This is not right. You 100% should have not lost this audit. We did everything that we possibly could. If you want to appeal this, which is our only right now, I'm fairly confident that you would win this if you took this to court. The bad news is, is we are going to be double the cost, right? I'm not a tax attorney. I can't represent you in court. You need to hire a tax attorney to do this. And you're probably talking 40 grand to go fight this, right? Why spend 40 to try and fight 20? It stinks, but we just have to chalk this one up. And again, did we ever go for the three or five years? No, he made business all five of those five years on us. Did she ever go down and ask us any of this stuff? Is there appreciable asset? Were there any success in similar industries? Is there stable financial status? No, none of that stuff was asked because we would have been said yes to all of this. And the whole reason why I tell this story is to just give you a word of warning. Even if you do everything by the book, this is going to be a tricky one. I'm going to be honest with you. Period. End of story. But how do we truly avoid this? And let's go down the rules on this because some of these are self-explanatory, but some of these I do have a couple little tips and tricks. So number one, does the taxpayer have a business-like manner while carry on the activity? Just like when people set up a rental car LLC, whenever you're setting up a related entity or really whenever you're doing anything on it, always just look at it from the scope of what would a real business do, right? What are other racing teams doing? So when it says, does it have a business-like manner while carrying on the activity, does a real racing team sell t-shirts, have a website, have a Facebook page, have an Instagram? Do they have uniforms that they wear on the track? Do they have labeling that they put on their trailer? You name it, right? The more and more stuff that you do, the more and more it looks like you are actually trying to make a profit. Hey, maybe you don't have much sponsors, but do you have a sponsorship packet that you send to prospective sponsors? Remember, you are engaged in for-profit. Doesn't mean that you haven't landed all of your sponsors yet, but if you have a really good slide deck, pitch deck that you've went and you can prove that you went and pitched this to several different businesses and they all said no, they can't yell at you for not trying, right? So always be looking at this. How would someone else do this? Is a taxpayer an expert or an advisor? I don't think that that really applies here in this situation on it whatsoever. Because if you are not an expert on this, then I hope that you're not doing trackside prep for customers on it. But hey, if you are, Godspeed. Do they devote the necessary time and effort? We already know the answer to this. I joked about it before. Anyone that has a race car that doesn't devote the necessary time and effort probably doesn't have a race car. Is an appreciable asset created? This is going to be a tricky one. And really in this situation, it doesn't apply to race cars on it. There's plenty of stuff where you're not creating an appreciable asset. Honestly, it's kind of funny because most stuff that we're creating is a depreciable asset there. But hey, that's neither here nor there. Are there successes in similar activities? Answer is yes, right? We're not creating up something random that no one ever's done before. Some people do make money. How? I have no idea. What is the history of activity of income or loss, right? This is going right back to it of, hey, it's always going to be easier to argue something that is actually making a profit versus something you're trying to prove to them how it could in the future. Have there been occasional profits? Kind of goes right with the same one, right? Hey, have you ever made money on this? Is there a stable financial status, right? Look at this the way that you look at your business. If you are looking at your business and you've lost money for the last 12 months and expect to lose money in the next 12 months and there's $500 in your bank account, then that doesn't seem very stable, does it? 
Now, flash forward is something that has lost some money, made some money. It's got 20 grand a bank account. Probably looks a little bit more financially stable. The last one, though, is where this always gets tricky. Is this activity undertaken for personal pleasure or recreation? Unless you are not driving the car on it, this is going to be very hard. And this is why racing teams are very, very tricky to defend. Is because all they need to do is they could say, hey, you answered yes to everything else. But you are getting personal pleasure out of this. So unless you have income in the last three of the five years, it's just going to be how well you can defend this stuff. And it's going to be an argument. And it might even come down to a coin flip on if this passes or not. It's tricky. In conclusion, you might be thinking to yourself, well, Hunt, this is going to be really hard for me to fight and audit, especially if I own the car, I drive the car, I'm the crew chief on it, I'm the hauler, I'm the chef, I'm everything, right? And your wholly owned company is actually the only sponsor. And you're exactly right. You are writing something off that the IRS really, really, really does not want you to. In a lot of cases, probably shouldn't be anyways. However, they cannot throw out what they can't see. Or should I say they cannot throw out what they cannot pick up out of a financial statement or a general ledger or an Excel sheet of all these different expenses throughout the year? Does race gas really look that much different on a credit card statement than customer or shop vehicle gas? Do race car parts really look that much different in parts cost of goods sold or on your credit card statement than customer parts? Right, I think you know where I'm going here and pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Your biggest fear is your wife finding out how much you spent on your race car. Now, imagine breaking that news as well as the tax bill on top because the IRS threw it out. Proceed with caution here. Proceed in silence is probably a better thing on this. Out of sight, out of mind, and it's going to have a lot less issues down the road. Fingers crossed. Hopefully that was helpful for you. Keep four wheels on the track. And hopefully this year you get out to the track much more than I did last year because this year like i said we're gonna make it out there i'm gonna put you guys to shame on how much track time i get as always please share with friends if you have any questions comments ideas for a future episode or maybe you want to sponsor my race car email me at podcast at parmelis.com thanks again for listening to the aftermarket radio network you can find all shows on the aftermarket radio network.com and on your favorite podcast listening app so thanks again for joining me on business by the number Thanks again to our wonderful sponsors, Napa Tracks and Promotive for another year of their dedicated support. Stay safe out there and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.